The AMA Code of Ethics states that no matter what your area of medicine, we're not supposed to treat friends or family members because we're just not objective when it comes to their care. But it does allow for the providing of general information and general counsel when they ask certain questions. I mean, we just can't turn them away and go, sorry, you're a friend or family, just can't help you. That's not true. We can provide some general educational information. Well, recently, a friend of ours asked about their 15-year-old daughter. She'd been 15 for four months now and had still had no cycle. So their question was very appropriate and very concerning to them. Well, is this normal? Well, is it? So in this session, we're going to cover primary amenorrhea, not just its definition, but its workup and its potential causes. Whether you're a medical student, nursing student, resident, nurse practitioner, or anybody else in women's health care, we're here for you. This is Clinical Pearls. Primary amenorrhea has two main definitions, and they both surround the presence or absence of secondary sex characteristics and the patient's age. The first definition is no menstrual cycle by the end of the 15th year, in other words, by age 16, regardless of the presence of secondary sex characteristics. And the second definition is age 13 and no initiation of secondary sex characteristics. Now, the reason of that age 13 is that if you recall, the first sign of puberty in the majority of young girls is telarchy. While menarche usually follows, telarchy by around 2.5 to 3 years. So if there's no breast development by the age of 13... In two and a half to three years, that's 16. So they meet the first definition then of primary amenorrhea. Everybody good? So primary amenorrhea, no period by the end of the 15th year, even with secondary sex characteristics, or no secondary sex characteristics by the age of 13. So people get into this kind of academic discussion of, well, is it in the 15th year, at the end of the 15th year? And that really is just an academic discussion. But for clinical practice, most allow the 15th year to complete. And if there's no period by the start of the 16th year, in other words, by the end of the 15th year of her age, then something needs to be evaluated. Because by that time, statistically in the U.S., 98% of young girls have already started having cycles. Now, primary amenorrhea, of course, is much less common than secondary amenorrhea, but it's still an important issue to know, both clinically and, of course, for your clinical wards and testing. Remember that even though the exact triggers and the exact sequence of puberty, the initiation of puberty, is not well understood, we know a lot more now. Of course, it all has to do with the activation of GnRH, allowing more pulsatile secretion to go to the anterior pituitary to then release FSH and LH. But most people talk about the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis and stop there. The truth is they're missing the final end result of puberty. This is what we're talking about here, which is the presence of a cycle. So the complete axis really is the hypothalamic, pituitary, ovarian, and then uterine axis. Because some women present with primary amenorrhea and have nothing wrong with their central nervous system or their GnRH secretion, but they have an outflow tract obstruction. So remember that, yes, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis is key, but you can't leave out the end organ, the uterus, because that, of course, is where the menstruation is coming from. Remembering that specific axis, including the uterus, helps us bring into focus the three potential big box causes of primary amenorrhea. The first box, of course, being central etiologies. This, of course, would be hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. 
Next comes ovarian non-responsiveness, and that, of course, is hypergonadotropic hypogonadism. And the third cause of primary amenorrhea is uterine non-responsiveness or outflow tract obstructions. So remember, we have central causes, ovarian causes, and then uterine or outflow tract etiologies. BirthTracks.com What is BirthTracks.com? It's an online platform for medical students, residents, OBGYNs, and midwives to track important information about their birth and procedure outcomes. And listen to this. If you are a student or resident, BirthTracks.com is completely free to use for an entire year. Why BirthTracks? Because it allows for accountability for improved patient outcomes. It helps identify areas in need of quality improvement, and you can use these stats to grow and promote your practice or just grow and track your training. Intrigued? I'm going to give you more information about BirthTracks.com a little bit later on in this podcast. All right, now right into the evaluation, because the evaluation for primary amenorrhea is pretty stepwise. It's just a simple algorithm, and if you think about it, you don't have to memorize what comes next. It just follows naturally if we understand the process. Remember that primary amenorrhea has everything to do with the absence of cycles with or without secondary sexual characteristics. So that's where the evaluation begins. Does the patient have breast development or not? Remember, breast development is actually a physical sign of estradiol production. In other words, it's not so much the interest whether she has breast development or not, but does a patient have estrogen circulating in her body? So the first part of the evaluation for primary amenorrhea, outside of the history, of course, is the physical exam. The algorithm then breaks up into two different roads, whether there is or is not breast development. So remember that the first step is physical exam with either the presence or absence of breast development as a surrogate marker for estrogen in her system. So let's cover first the yes, there is breast present or the yes, estradiol is in the system category. All right, so remember, breast present, yes. In other words, there is estradiol in the system, which means that the ovaries at least are doing their part and they've responded. So that takes care of the hypothalamic, pituitary, ovarian part of the access. Well, what are we left with? Well, we just said that the uterus is the ultimate end organ. So that requires an ultrasound to look for the presence of the uterus. Now, this is best done transvaginal ultrasound approach, but you can do a transabdominal if desired. If the ultrasound shows that a uterus is in fact present, then the next thing in the evaluation is look at the outflow tract. In other words, is there a hematometria or a hematocopos, meaning is there a cervical obstruction or a vaginal obstruction, and that needs to be evaluated. Now, if there is no physical obstruction in a patient with primary amenorrhea as a working diagnosis who has breast development and there's a uterus and there's nothing obstructing it, then you really have to change the algorithm then to secondary amenorrhea. In other words, could she be pregnant? Now, remember, this is the first step actually in the evaluation because any young girl who hasn't had a cycle is pregnant until proven otherwise, regardless of history. Well, that takes care of one arm of the algorithm, primary amenorrhea. First step, is there breast development or not? We said in this case, yes, there is, which means that there's estrogen circulating. Well, if there's estrogen circulating, the next question is, how does the uterus and the vagina look? 
Well, first, let's do a look at the uterus by doing a transvaginal ultrasound. And if it's present and there's no outflow tract obstruction, then you consider secondary causes or secondary amenorrhea. But what about if the ultrasound shows that the uterus is not present? Now, remember, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl or so that has breasts, but the ultrasound shows no uterine development. In this case, you then have to draw her blood and look for microarray chromosomal analysis. You've got to look at her chromosomes. And of course, there's only two possibilities here. She's 46XX, which means she's genetically a female, but she has Malurian agenesis. If that's the case, you also have to look at the renal system because, of course, the genitourinary system develop parallel to each other in embryology. So defects in the uterine or the malarian system can also be reflected in the renal system. If you check the chromosomes and she is actually found to be 46XY, in other words, genetically a male, then that is androgen insensitivity syndrome. And remember that that is a defect of the testosterone receptor. Again, if she is 46XX, it's Malurian agenesis. But if she's found to be 46XY, it's androgen insensitivity syndrome. Remember that AIS patients do have breast development, but they tend to have absent axillary or pubic hair. And of course, they do not have a uterus present. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, so if you're trying to picture this, remember, it's just an algorithm, just a decision tree. Starts with primary amenorrhea, and the next box below that is, are there breasts present or not? In other words, is there estrogen in the body or not? We've just covered the one possible pathway, which is, yes, breasts are present, which then raises the question, is there a uterus present? We've covered that decision analysis based on an ultrasound, and if a uterus is present, it's an outflow tract obstruction to prove otherwise, or secondary amenorrhea, and if it's not present, that triggers a search for chromosomes. Now let's do the other decision tree, which is primary amenorrhea and is there breast present or not? In this case, we're going to say no, there is no breast development, which means the body has not recognized estrogen production, meaning the defect is either coming centrally or peripherally at the level of the ovary. So let's walk down that algorithm now. In a patient without breast development and no obvious cycle, then that requires a blood draw for FSH and LH. If the level is under 5, then that's the diagnosis of hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. In other words, it's a central defect. This then leads to a check of TSH, prolactin, and even consideration of a cranial MRI to look at the cella tersica. In other words, low levels of FSH and LH defined as under 5 is a potential etiology of central hypogonadotropic hypogonadism. If the FSH and LH level is high, defined as greater than 20, then that is hypergonadotropic hypogonadism. In this case, remember, if FSH and LH are elevated, then that means that the hypothalamus and pituitary axis are awake and are screaming at the ovary to wake up, but the ovary's not paying attention. In this case, the patient's chromosomes are also warranted. 
There's three possibilities here in general. Remember, we're talking about a patient with primary amenorrhea who does not have breast development and has high serum FSH and LH. Don't forget to go to birthtracks.com. This is so easy to use. This is your personal data entry tool designed for providers to quickly enter birth data at 2 a.m. It only takes one to two minutes on your mobile phone or your computer. This is a way to keep all your personal OB outcomes data all on one dashboard. Vaginal birth counts, primary cesarean rates, operative vaginal births, emergency cesarean rates, postpartum hemorrhages, VBAC success rates, vaginal lacs, NICU admissions, preterm birth rates, low APGARs, and even breastfeeding stats. As an added plus, it allows you to customize your data collection so you get to decide what kind of outcomes you want to track. Get the stats that you need easily and quickly with no need to go through the process of medical record reviews or hand calculating from a birth log. BirthTracks.com actually allows you to use the platform for free for 60 days. And as we stated before, if you're a student or a resident, it's free for an entire year. So go to BirthTracks.com now and get started for free for better accountability, better tracking, and better patient care. Of the three possibilities, the first is that the patient is 46XX, in other words, genetically female. Well, in this case, if the ovaries are just not waking up, then that is a definition of premature ovarian insufficiency, previously called premature menopause or premature ovarian failure. If the patient is found to be 45XO, then that patient is actually Turner syndrome. And remember, there's a lot of variable penetration, a lot of variable presentation of Turner syndrome. So some of these patients are actually first diagnosed when they fail to have a period. The third possibility in this scenario is that the patient's chromosomes return and she's actually genetically male, 46XY. This is called Swire syndrome. Now remember, make the difference between Swire syndrome and androgen insensitivity syndrome because both are genetic males. But with Swire syndrome, there is no breast development, whereas with androgen insensitivity syndrome, there is breast development. Here's a big clinical pearl that we have to cover because I think it's just fascinating. All right, androgen insensitivity syndrome versus Swire syndrome. Remember, both are 46XY. Both are genetically male, but the pathophysiology is very different. Although AIS patients do have breasts, Swire syndrome patients do not have breast development. However, Swire syndrome patients do have phenotypic external female genitalia and they have internal female genitalia, meaning they have a vagina, uterus, and fallopian tubes. Everybody get that? So again, Swire syndrome has no breast development, but they do have a uterus and a vagina. And the reason is, is that this is a defect in testes development very early on in embryology. So there's no testes at all, which means that the Mullerian system keeps developing and it keeps developing uninhibited. Whereas with AIS, even though those patients do have breast development, remember, AIS is a defect of the testosterone receptor, specifically things like 5-alpha reductase. So they do have breast development, but they do not have a uterus because they do have rudimentary gonads that prevents Mullerian development. In these AIS patients, that early gonad does secrete Mullerian inhibiting factor. So that's why AIS patients do not have a uterus present. All right, so as we wrap it up, Swire syndrome, which is 46XY, primary amenorrhea, no breasts, but they do have a functional vagina and a uterus. 
AIS patients, on the other hand, also have primary amenorrhea, and they do have breast development, but they do not have a uterus, and they have a blind-ending vaginal pouch. All right, so we've covered primary amenorrhea. The first step in the evaluation is whether there is breast present or not, a surrogate marker for estradiol production. Then the algorithm splits into two. Yes, there's breasts, or no, there's not. And we follow the algorithm all the way down. Super interesting workup. Much less common than secondary amenorrhea, but you know it's always on the test, and someone's going to ask you about primary amenorrhea. As always, thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.